It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Jake King, who's the CEO and co-founder of CMD. He's a longtime security practitioner specializing in infrastructure security, primarily in cloud environments. Prior to starting CMD, Jake managed the security program at social media giant Hootsuite, where he experienced firsthand the risk pertaining to Linux systems at scale. CMD was born out of these and many other frustrations, quickly becoming one of the hottest startups in the cybersecurity space. Jake is a frequent speaker on the topic of Linux security at B-Sides, MITRE, and other conferences, as well as an active member of the Vancouver cybersecurity community. An Australian native, Jake studied cyber forensics and information security management before relocating to Vancouver, Canada in 2013. Jake King, thank you so much for stopping by today. No worries. Thank you for having me. You definitely had an interesting journey in the world of security. Tell us about yourself. How did this all begin for you? Yeah, that's a good question, John. It's actually been really interesting. I started my career kind of, you know, just really enthralled by disassembling things, which I think is is probably pretty common for a lot of folks in InfoSec, but really just learning how systems worked. You know, I got into hardware and, and really started to learn a lot about you know, I guess the differences between you know, how hardware interacted with software, how software actually then was, you know, controlling that hardware and all the underlying interfaces. And, you know, I guess just really in my, my teenage years started to, to pick up some security kind of thoughts along the way. And yeah, it was a, it was a pretty interesting journey into forensics and, and kind of network administration and, and, you know, inevitably ended up in, in Canada running uh, part of the security operations team for a company called Hootsuite up here locally. Awesome. And that's really cool. And how long were you there at Hootsuite? Hootsuite. Oh, Man, uh, three or four years, Kendra. It was it was a really cool time during, during just with absolutely explosive growth, and and I think the the company had started to to do some really interesting things from an infosec perspective. You know, they were really cloud first, cloud focused, and they deeply cared about security. So it was a really exciting journey with a, you know a pretty awesome and diverse security team, which I was. I was really happy to, to to kind of get involved with and and enjoy a bit of the time with. So yeah, it was it was a good kickstart into North American security culture for sure. Awesome. So with that, we're kind of interested. You also then helped, I think, after that, co-found Command. So if you could just talk a little bit about how it evolved, maybe what were some of the pain points or frustrations you ran into, and yeah. kind of the history. Yeah, yeah. Good questions. I, you know, I think you know, with with every kind of startup journey, there's a lot of hand wringing and thoughts that you you kind of have as you start to to kind of look at a problem space and you know at the time really early on you know just working at Hootsuite I'd, I'd seen a bunch of problems and and I actually met my co-founder Maloon Tesovic who was a seasoned entrepreneur here in Vancouver he'd built a couple of companies and and done done quite well with those companies in the past you know and we were talking about a number of different things and, and really one of the things that we kept coming back to was was really just this notion of this kind of unexplored part of of infosec territory which was linux and linux in production and he and i would both had a lot of infrastructure experience and and just really never found it you know have never found an amazing solution around identity access and and really kind of proper security controls for linux in general and you know, it was really just kind of 
ideating on a few of those ideas that we we decided to to really dig deep and you know found some amazing engineers built some built some great prototypes and 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 raised some capital early on to start out kind of this this journey around Linux security and and really kind of driving Linux security home trying to trying to make a bit of a difference and and yeah a couple of years later we've we've you know got a got an amazing team based out of Boston and Vancouver and 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 really just kind of seeing the company start to explode with growth now awesome so since we're talking about it and there's a lot of people out there is your team growing at this yeah. point in time <laughs> absolutely i think uh and actually strangely enough remotely right now we're actually talking to quite a few folks that aren't based out of vancouver and boston so keep an eye on the careers page if you'd like to to take a look at some of the gigs that we've got up on offer right now we're actually kind of going through some interesting roles with the company expanding in many different ways so kind of learning and expanding our free product and and starting to do some some pretty interesting things to the community re- really really soon so lots of opportunities there in the in the current and the near-term future with the with cmd as we scale awesome yeah definitely an exciting time for you guys so you're talking about some technologies that you're working again going back to linux security can you tell us some of them yeah you know i think you know one of the interesting things that we've we've found john is that you know there's there's been a lot of in, in, you know innovation in general security uh, you know kind of foundational concepts foundational tools inside of the linux ecosystem a lot of them are built upon cloud providers or, you know, kind of very different, you know, kind of distributions that you can pick up today. And, and CMD was really started to, you know, to, to start to, you know, knock off some of those problems at a high level. You know, we wanted to be able to identify what users were doing on systems. And, and we've used a number of really amazing bleeding edge technology, you know, components inside the Linux kernel to, to do some of that. Most uh, most recently, one of our products has, has been leveraging the BPF framework or eBPF framework by uh, Brandon Gregg and the team down at Netflix there for Linux process observability. And, you know, really just in, in, in the last few years, we've been learning a lot about different ways that, that systems operate how we can collect security insights and and actually add some constraint and controls in some of our enterprise products. So it's been an interesting couple of years. Security, especially for Linux, has been starting to, you know, take top priority for a lot of the companies that that are out there today. And, you know, just as people emerge into the cloud, I think they've started to lock down a lot of the cloud service providers, a lot of the cloud architecture. It's now kind of getting towards that host level system, which is, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a different problem to have to solve. And, and, And fortunately, there's great tools out there today. And, and, and ones you can play around with, but you know, just trying to simplify it and, and make it a little bit more consumerful for the for the average team out there. So one thing you talked about in the beginning, you said access control, authentication, and for those who don't know, I know a big part of the technologies that you offer is is dual factor, multi factor authentication. For those who don't know, what is that, and why should companies get on board to use it today? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, you know kind of getting down to access controls and 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 having appropriate controls in place, guardrails. You know, when it comes down to it, John, I, I think a lot of people approach authentication and authorization in a in a very rudimentary way, especially when you're dealing with internal systems. So, perfect example of this is if you've got a system for managing your HVAC system in your building probably has just a simple username password mechanism to get into that system and hopefully you know that's securely stored somewhere in the facility to to kind of lock it down and change from defaults i think a few years ago multi-factor authentication had started to really hit its stride with you know, a number of companies out there that offer both hardware token uh, options like Ubico, all the way down to, to, you know, kind of virtual access tokens through the likes of Duo Security with their virtual token assistant on the phone. 
and really what it was designed to do was stop, you know, man in the middle attacks from, you know, stealing a credential over the wire and being able to reuse that credential in the future, or even just, you know, shoulder surfing attacks or password kind of reuse attacks. What you wanted to do was have a, a token that would consistently, you know, move and change and applying that to internal systems is, is really just an extension of doing that for, you know, your existing technology out there. A lot of systems actually set two-factor by default these days, rightfully so, because it's an easy, you know, it's an easy way to improve the security posture of a system very, very rapidly by just having that extended validation. But, you know, I think the, you know, the, the tail end of that is it does add another step to an authorization or authentication process. So make sure you do it wisely, make sure you do it with the right reasons and, and hopefully make it as frictionless as possible for your team. We obviously extend these kind of technologies to the command line within Linux. And so we try to do it to make sure that, you know, rather than just kind of, you know, accidentally typing the wrong command or accidentally doing the wrong thing or having an adversary compromise a, a credential that you're running in, in, in your cloud systems, you know, we can push that authentication mechanism to the host, make it super easy to enter for your engineers and, and your automation teams and, and really kind of roll through without as, uh, as, as little friction as possible, let's say, trying to make it a little bit more secure along the way. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That kind of leads into the next question we we're going to ask you. What you just described, it sounds really similar to when you use the sudo command for some things and then you have to re-authenticate from other things. So do you have anything else you'd like to describe about that and that process? It's kind of like a trigger where maybe you could dive a little deeper into like some of the rules and some of the things that might trigger that on your guys' side. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's 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 really interesting to see kind of how authorization and authentication works in Linux. Fundamentally, underneath the covers, you know, groups and roles are provided for, for Linux natively. But as we all know, a lot of those kind of groups and roles are kind of the defaults. And yeah, just as you said there, it's 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 one of those things, Kendra, that we we often find pseudo is being used to privilege escalate to root or privilege escalate to a to a you know kind of a uh, you know a more privileged state on the host. What's been really interesting thing is we found that that was really cumbersome to control. So when you're, you know, rolling out a change to a group of interns, for example, or providing someone access to a system, you didn't necessarily just want to give them full access to everything as root. And so you'd build these pseudo as files on the host, you kind of manage those with a config management system and tool. And fundamentally, that would become a little bit difficult to manage, especially if people were sharing credentials or accounts. And so CMD does invoke itself in a very similar way to the pseudo command. You run an event on the system, you can have that match a either a, you know, a MITRE attack policy or a common kind of adversarial pattern that you can find on a system. And you're able to kind of add restrictions or constraints or controls in a way that makes sense for you and the team. I think one of the most important things, though, is trying to do that in a way that doesn't disrupt tools. So perfect example would be something that might be managing a configuration file, you know, Ansible, for example, that's Mm -hmm. logging into a system or, you know, privilege escalating to make a change or restarting a service's route. It's really when those kind of accounts are in place that you need to be careful and think about the ways to apply a policy. And, you know, we've obviously thought of some amazing ways to do that. There's obviously a lot of great open source tools that that you can use out there for it as well. But, you know, I think the, 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 the major premise here is just increasing security posture through defense in depth, minimize account access, follow least privilege and try to keep those privilege 
privileged credentials and privileged access components down to as small a group of folks as you possibly can, or at least authenticate it continuously and monitor it so it's not just unfettered access. <laughs> Tends <laughs> to be a little scary. <laughs> yes, definitely. Especially with everyone working from home. <laughs> yeah, and just logging in from everywhere. Yeah, and there's no mm. central location. Kind of scary. Yes, definitely. Speaking of people working from home, I guess with the COVID pandemic, you're getting a lot more attention from organizations interested in your technology since more people with various roles and access privileges are now working remotely. Yeah. Is that true? And how does it scale in that regard? You know what? It's it's really interesting that you ask, John, because I think there's I think there's kind of the near-term security impact of everyone going remote. You know, we were just talking about this before we started to record, John, how quickly our threat models have changed. Kendra, I'm sure you're seeing the same things. Mm-hmm. And and those threat models changing for us are just you know, just so, so diverse. It might be that we now have teams working internationally and accessing very sensitive corporate systems remotely. It may be that our VPNs are on fire because every single team person on the in the company is now using a VPN. Hey, maybe it's just really hard to push automatic updates to people's systems because they've got a slower connection speed at home. Threat models changed for everybody. And so you're, you're right, John, you know, things did change for us in a, in a pretty rapid way at CMD. We not only saw a lot of people that were going through cloud transfer transformation. They couldn't get people into data centers to upgrade equipment and deploy new systems. And so they were deploying those systems in the cloud. They wanted to match that that kind of same consistent control fabric that they had in the data center with the cloud. And we were able to do that for them quite effectively. But I think on the flip side of that, you know, it's a it's a changing landscape. And, you know, we've, we've definitely seen a lot of interesting use cases start to crop up, specifically ones around time of day access, a day of week access, the kind of things that are a little bit harder to control with a standard policy that you might need to enforce, especially when you're not really kind of watching what systems might be doing. But you know, I think what's also been interesting is just looking at how this is going to impact, you know, moving forward. We don't really know when we're all going to go back to that that new normal. You know, I was looking at some statistics today and, you know, there's a lot of countries that are still kind of really struggling with the pandemic. And and, uh, and obviously the, the implications of that are, are going to be felt for a long time. You know, I'd say that we're going to feel the first wave of this kind of security impact today with companies moving and seeing those threat models change. But I'd say it's, you know, what's the dwell time of an adversary in an environment? We're probably going to see a lot of compromise that starts to trump up in 180, 200 days, you know, away from now where we've made those quick decisions. We've deployed a lot of really sensitive infrastructure or systems inside to just cope with the fact that we're remote now. And really those adversaries are going to be dwelling in those systems already. So it's going to come down to kind of a second wave there as well from the security perspective too which is kind of scary. But yeah, I think it's a reasonable assumption to make, at least for now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of new systems out there that we're not really sure of, you know, coming from a security perspective. Awesome. That, you kind of touched on this a little bit with, you know, people starting to work from home, being at different locations, different times. I know you guys use machine learning to help build models to predict things based on users' actions. So have you had to change a lot of your models to adapt to the new world? Or can you maybe... Yeah. Give some more yeah. details on that. That's actually a really interesting question. And it, it's actually very, very true. What was really interesting for us was seeing home IP addresses being used. We have a number of integrations in our platform that not only pull data that we cho- you know, kind of crunch on ourselves with machine learning models that we've built in-house, but actually pull in reputation data from other systems too. You'd be surprised at how many people download torrents or seed files or run an FTP server at home. And we see those kind of uh, increasing risks in the uh, in the IPs connecting <laughs> to fleets of 
system. So it's been, it's certainly been interesting to kind of see that, that pattern of behavior change. But I, I'll also say, not only have we noticed some of our standard models kind of picking up, we're seeing a new, a lot of new processes, a lot of new system activity, and it's really just statistical analysis that's that's actually proven the most interesting. You know, outlier detection and anomaly detection and and, and models of, around artificial intelligence are really really impressive. But what we've found is just cutting through the noise is is a really interesting problem to have to deal with, especially as you know, people are working longer hours, they're they're doing a lot more with the COVID pandemic, and and look from home, we're gonna act you know differently. We're going to work in slightly different ways. People, you know, dwell longer on systems. They do more at home. It's it's just a very different pattern. So we definitely have had to make some tweaks and changes. You know, sorry to some of those customers that got some uh, some emails around some scary looking IP reputation alerts, but I will say they're accurate. So <laughs> we've all got to stop seeding and torrenting at home, clearly. <laughs> Bit of a funny one, but yeah, just an interesting kind of side note. You have an early access offering for a new product called CMD Free. Tell us more about it and how can people sign up? Yeah, definitely. We've we've been really trying to learn a lot, John. One of the things that you know at CMD we we want to try and push on is you know give the ability for the community to use the the enterprise grade tools and the, the the tools that they will be using in the office as well from home. And you know one of the initiatives we kicked off late last year, really kind of just as a as a as a company, we wanted to get together and get the product in as many people's hands as we could. And so yeah, we kicked off CMD free. It's an observability sensor for Linux that that I think is is probably one of the easiest to get set up and going to monitor not only user interaction on the system, but process interaction. And we started up that project to really, number one, collect a little bit of data for our machine learning models, you know, see how people use the tool as honeypots, as, you know, kind of critical, you know, systems in their environment or, you know, to kind of alert on unusual activity, but also to to, to build a really clear repertoire of policies that make sense for everybody. You know, we, we wanted to give back to the community some of the policies that we've been building, you know, practical implementations of, the MITRE ATT&CK framework for Linux. But, you know, obviously it's just a starting point. We're looking to see what people can do with the platform and, and, and integrate some creative things with the product. So we're excited to see it kind of come together. It's, it's been out for, wow, uh, I guess kind of more general access for about 10 days, but we've been testing it for quite a while. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a crazy journey for us, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. So I'd like to kind of shift gears, but related to your company offering a free product, helping out the community, What's your take on hiring and trying to diversify security and get more people and, you know, provide opportunities for those who want to get into security? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think it I think it number one starts through education and really accessibility to systems that you can actually go and use when you can take them to a job and, and actually go and ap- apply that set of skills. You know, it was funny, I was talking to 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 both of you about some of my journey into to InfoSec and, and specifically application security using the OWASP top ten guide to kind of target some applications that I was using back then. You know, I think I think it's really about sharing practical knowledge and being able to apply that knowledge in a way that can help a business grow. But I also say from a, you know, from an employer perspective, you know, I've certainly brought in people that are brand new to the security industry and have found them just incredibly compelled to, you know, to talk about technical things, to learn about the industry because it's an exciting industry. I'll say an interesting use case here, or I guess an example. So I had a a sales representative, one of the first reps that I hired at CMD come on board. He'd been selling uh, software in security for quite some time, but had only gotten into 
into the security kind of side, the gig beforehand, joining Sam D. And his journey in, you know, wow, just a couple of short years went from, you know, kind of selling some of the leading EDR products for a local vendor here in Vancouver, all the way to actually going on stage at DEF CON a couple of years ago, DEF CON 26, to be in the SECTF, kind of taking part in the social engineering challenge, which I thought was really cool from a social engineer standpoint. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really about finding the journey about you know, in, in InfoSec that you find yourself being so passionately obsessed with, applying that to your day-to-day and, you know, working with employers that want to want to do the same thing. I, I will say as a security employer, I've found folks that are just subject matter experts in a space can really apply those 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 concepts really quite well in InfoSec if, if given the opportunity to do so. And and it's a bet that I've made and, and has paid off quite substantially to date at, at CMD at least. Awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, we're definitely with the Portland OWASP group and, you know, all of us in the industry hoping to get more people into security and join us. So, oh, of course, it's not awesome. a scary industry. We, we're, we're friendly <laughs> folks. There's there's amazing, amazing resources online today that, you know, podcasts, news groups, everything that is out there that are just, you know, they're, they're just exploding right now because we've got the ability to, to to jump online and go to a go to an event in Europe, then, you know, an hour later do an event that's being recorded out of Las Vegas. So take advantage of the time that all of these events are completely remote. I, I, I don't know what DEF CON's doing this year, but it would be certainly interesting to see there's some virtual kind of aspects there as well. I'm, I'm certainly going to be watching that one for sure. <laughs> okay, a bit aside, and this is a really important question, but how difficult was it to get the domain name cmd.com? <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it, it, you know, it's, it, it draws a lot of attention. The funniest thing about it is I think the emails that you get are really, really, really old stuff. We got a lot of click-through traffic for people typing in cmd.com inside a, inside a, you know, command prompt on Windows. We get a lot of stuff on that side as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it was a, it was an interesting domain catch. I can, you know, thank my co-founder for that one, Malone. And with, with a big grin on my face, he, he knew some folks who knew some folks who knew some folks. Um, <laughs> but I, but I will say the domains that are that old are pretty unusual. I, I don't know how old it is, but we've been doing some research. We'll probably have a blog post about the domain and some of the history eventually. But for those that want to look back on the Wayback Machine as, you know, what was going on in the early 90s, and I guess probably Wayback doesn't go back to the late 80s, but the early 90s at least looked pretty funny on cmd.com. <laughs> That's awesome. That will definitely be worthwhile looking at. And I think a blog post is worthy of that. <laughs> yeah. We just want to take an opportunity to thank you, Jake, for joining us at the Portland OWASP and also give you an opportunity if there's anything else, any events you would like to promote or anything else you're attending and how best people can reach out to you in CMD. Yeah, of course. Um, look, you know, we're, we're constantly doing online events. If you do want to check out what we've got going on in a regular schedule, the site's always over for a visit. I've done a, a couple of presentations as has my team in the last couple of months, which are really, really worthwhile reading if you've got some time to, to spare and, and want to learn a little bit more about Linux and cloud security. I will say this though, you know, as we did talk about our free product a little bit earlier on, you know, we want to give people as quick and early access to the platform as they can get. So we've got a custom link for the listeners today, just cmd.com forward slash Portland. And if you would like to sign up there, we'll get back to you pretty quickly. We'll get you into the platform and, and obviously having you have you playing with some, some awesome technology if you'd like to. Otherwise, more than available on Twitter or obviously through the standard channels on the site. So feel free to feel free to get in touch. We're, uh, we're super friendly at CMD. We'd love to hear from you and uh, obviously excited to hear the listeners' feedback. Thank you so much, Jake. No, it's been wonderful. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for the, the time today, folks. It's obviously, it's been great to hear from you as well, Kendra. And hopefully you have a, have a great rest of the week. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. 
To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.